Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, and Renee, former President Donald Trump is still alive. And that might not be all that newsworthy on most days. <laughs> but yesterday, and uh, I actually missed this story until they, they retracted it, but, but yesterday, Donald Trump Jr.'s Twitter X account was hacked, and it sent out a post that said, I'm sad to announce my father has passed away. I'll be running for president in 2024. And then there was a string of other bizarre posts that followed, uh, and that post was deleted. And uh, they must have been on top of this pretty quick because I didn't see it until the story itself was actually retracted. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I, I wonder if anyone actually believed it because the red flag is I'm running for president right. in 2024. And, right. And also also he said my father, Donald Trump. Like everyone knows who your dad is. Like right. it, it, it had a very like AI feel. Yeah. Yes. That but, is accurate. Could you imagine if this wasn't taken down and, and it actually started to spread? I know. The, the sad thing is, is there are a lot of people that would have ran with it. Right. Because if it's on the Internet, it must be true. Well, and if it's coming from Donald Trump Jr.'s verified account, even mm. though, you know, the, the, the check mark isn't what the check mark used to be. But right. if it's coming from his account, I mean, who knows? I if. If 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 I would have saw it while we were on the air and I said, oh, my God, this is coming from Donald Trump Jr.'s actual account. Breaking news. I might have ran with it. Sure. Of but course. but here's the thing. It probably I, I would like to think it it would have been so unbelievable that I would have sat on, it. especially the ver- verbiage. And if 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 he sent out like a series of, of other tweets, like I guess it was about like when it was kind of like Wendy's new Facebook page. Which, by the by, the way, if you have extra time to kill, check that out. Yeah, it's unhinged. It's so bizarre. It's unhinged. So, yeah, I, I would have thought that either someone uh, hacked Donald Trump Jr.'s Twitter page, or he was he was in, he have, was unhinged. Right, he was having some kind of episode. But yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, are they gonna are they gonna look into who did this? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think. I, I don't know what the legal ramifications are, but I mean, this is this is a candidate for president. I mean, imagine how much chaos could have been been sowed if if this actually uh, had legs and, and and started circulating. Well, and if it was someone, imagine if it was like the president's Twitter, right? And, or or and, he was the sitting president at the time, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, obviously, he's not president anymore, but he still has Secret Service protection. Does right. The Secret Service get involved now, or they just kind of let yeah, it go. I don't know. Um, in money news, the Federal Reserve decided not to raise interest rates this month. They met yesterday. But they'll probably raise them one more time before the end of the year, just in time for your holiday shopping. Oh, how nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Fed, I mean, talking about unhinged. Well, I'm not going to say that because I know nothing about economics. But it has raised interest rates 11 times since March of 2022. Wow. It was 0% because I think we were coming out of the recession yeah. and they were just chopping and chopping and chopping. Um, it now stands between 525 and 5.5%. Now, Obviously, this has been to fight inflation. That's down to 3.7%. The Fed's trying to get it down to 2%. It was at 8.5% in March of 2022. And uh, immediately, this is all above my pay grade. And even my eyes were glazing over as I was reading those numbers. But I'm not even sure what the inflation rate means because, you know, they say it's down from 8.5% down to about 3.7%. But, uh, I, 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 I'm not seeing it in my own life. I was going to say, are you still broke? Yeah, well, I'm broker than I was. Me too. The, the inflation rate really only has to do with 
prices. So yeah, prices are going to be going up, but if you're like take home pay isn't changing to reflect that then you're still you're not the difference that you're feeling isn't going to balance out even when inflation starts to go down and even if inflation itself is that low 2% number the prices have already been high the 2% is on top of what's already happened before Parker is now our new economic correspondent. Oh, three promotions here. this week. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. take it. I'll take all I can get. And you know, we might need you, Parker. Because With this inflation, I'll take the promotions. Yeah, well, uh, you'll you'll get a three point seven percent raise, which will be which is a net zero with inflation. <laughs> nice. But I, I mean, back in March of twenty twenty two, you know, I felt I felt like my paycheck went further, and I wouldn't even say my paycheck doesn't feel like it it, it goes as far. I feel like my paycheck is an- inadequate. It doesn't cover my bills and my necessities anymore because, you know, Parker, like you said, prices are going up. My bills haven't changed. My paycheck hasn't changed. But paying for everything else yeah. is still high, even though they're telling us that that inflation is low. There's no fun money. That's for sure. Right. Exactly. So uh, thank you, Parker. Parker is the smartest person on this show. I do try. <laughs> well, you succeeded. Uh, Stellantis announced hundreds of workers will be temporarily laid off at uh, three different facilities in Ohio and in Indiana because of that UAW strike. And and this seems to be uh, Sean Fain's strategy seems to be playing out because, mm-hmm. um, you know, what were they saying? They're not going to strike. They're, they're not going to strike all the uh, all all the plans at the same time. It's going to be strategic so that it takes down other plants because they just can't function with the plants that they're targeting. It's this ripple effect. Yeah. And so there'll be layoffs. They'll, they'll be able to um, collect unemployment and all of that. 350 workers will be laid off at Toledo Manu- machining plant in Perrysburg, Ohio, Kokomo transmission and Kokomo casting earlier this week Ford laid off 600 workers. GM says it expects to lay off 2,000 workers. And, and and it's interesting that one of the layoffs is a transmission plant because that's one of the that, that that's one of the things the UAW is afraid of, of going away with EVs because EVs don't need transmission. Right. And also, I don't know if this is coincidence or strategic, but Sean Fain, although he has been here in Michigan for a long time, he started in Kokomo. Oh, did he? Yeah. So he started in Kokomo and then he moved here. I I, I don't know if that's something. Huh. I don't know if that's something. Maybe some... it's coincidental. Right. That, that seems to be two weird coincidences right yeah, there. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, and then uh, going back to a story that uh, seems to have kind of gone away over the years, um, it looks like we may have seen the last of the criminal investigations into the Flint water crisis. Yeah, the Michigan Supreme Court on Wednesday rejected a last chance effort to revive criminal charges against seven people in the Flint water scandal, uh, waving away an appeal by prosecutors who have desperately tried to get around a 2022 decision that gutted the cases. So the attorney general's office used an uncommon tool, a one judge grand jury uh, to hear evidence and return indictments against nine people, including former Governor Rick Snyder. Uh, But the Supreme Court last year said that the process was unconstitutional and it struck down the charges as invalid. State prosecutors, however, were undeterred. They returned to Flint courts and argued that the charges could easily be revived with a simple refiling of documents. Now, that 
proposition was repeatedly rejected all the way to the state's highest court. The Supreme Court said in a series of one-sentence orders Wednesday, we're not persuaded that the question presented should be reviewed by the court. Prosecutors could try to start from scratch, but any effort to file charges in a more traditional way against some of the targets now could get tripped up by Michigan's six-year statute of limitations. Yeah, and it's a shame that the the choice to use a one-person grand jury is going to let... And, and and I don't know if 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 these seven people were were guilty or not. The the highest profile person was Nick Lyon, who was the former Michigan Department of uh, Human Services director. But you know now you've got seven people who might not face justice right. because uh, you you know because uh, the the state decided to use a, a one person grand jury instead of I don't know a more traditional route. And it seems like this whole Flint water crisis thing. It's going away with a whisper. I mean, I remember when it was happened, there were so many high-profile, po- high-powered heads on the chopping block. Rightfully so. Right. And, and it seems like now most people got away with a slap slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you think about, if you remember back, what a large-scale public health crisis this was. And how many people were sick mm-hmm. and it just, this was a, this was terrible. I mean, what an absolute nightmare to have to live through if you're a, if you're a resident of Flint. I looked it up, 95% of the, the lead water lines have been replaced in Flint. That, that's good news, but I mean, how do you, you know, how, how do you make whole? And what, the long-term effects of this. Right. I, I, I mean, and and even if somehow you you escape the Flint water crisis unscathed health wise, mm-hmm. just just the trauma of living through that, right? And having to boil your water yeah. and ugh. And and on top of that, I, I mean, it kind of opened up a a, a a a can of worms. I mean, there's been so many other co- uh, communities throughout the United States where where you know once you start peeling back the onion, you start to to see these lead wa- these these lead service lines. Are, are an issue yeah. uh, in more places than we originally anticipated. So um, we will be right back. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. With Renee Vitale and uh, Renee, yesterday, you know, I, when I'm home in the afternoon, I, I like to put on one of the cable newses and just kind of have it on in the background um, while I'm uh, doing stuff or taking a nap so that, yeah, I just, I just, Absorb news through osmosis sure. before diving into the headlines of the day. And uh, every single channel I put it on was this hearing. And and maybe I should pay closer attention because I had no idea this was happening. Uh, this attorney, uh, this hearing with Attorney General Merrick Garland, where he was testifying in front of the House Oversight Committee on a wide range of topics. Um, they were, uh, I, I guess the the hearing was to discuss the potential weaponization of the Department of Justice. They were talking about the Hunter Biden plea deal that fell apart, um, his indictment, uh, that plea deal ultimately led to his indictment, the Trump indictments, uh, Joe Biden's role in, in, in Hunter's overseas business dealings. And I'm watching this and I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, you know, what am I watching? Is there a specific purpose to these hearings? Are Republicans just trying to dunk on Garland for for some sound bites. I mean, will any of this be used in in in, in the Hunter Biden court case and in, in in any of the Trump indictments, any of the uh any of the uh, uh um um uh, Joe Biden's impeachment hearings, that's what I was looking for. 
Um, or, or were they just trying to get sound bites? I mean, what was the purpose of this? Yeah, I didn't see it in real time. Mm-hmm. I watched it on the news after, and I went, okay, so and, and what here, happened? Right, exactly. So, I, so I mean... What was the point of this? I, I and there's a lot of hearings where I feel like they're just soundbite factories, right? That's Th- what this felt like. They'll they'll bring some they'll bring somebody on. There'll be you know a, a public shaming. Um, the Republicans can get their sound bites. The Democrats can get their sound bites, and then it's just kind of over. Right. It was a screaming match, is what it kind of felt like. It was like, what was the point of this whole thing? And again, I'm thinking to myself. 100%. What's the point of this whole thing? I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I, if you think that the Department of Justice is not acting uh, above board and you want to look into it, fine. Um, if you want to open up an impeachment uh, inquiry against President Joe Biden, fine. Sure. But can it wait until, you know, next month where we finally have a spending deal done and we, we avoid a shutdown? There's more important things at hand right now. Yeah, or and uh, at least more urgent, right? right. And and so I I really don't I I really don't care what Congress does. Um, I I feel like right now it's uh you know it's 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 just uh you know you punch me in the arm I punch you in the arm. But but can we just kind of like take care of the basic people people's business before you start you know looking into all these other things. It's only nine days away. You Could you wait maybe 14 days to start sure, doing this once, sure. once we got everything squared away? The good news is they're going to be more comfortable when they do it. <laughs> That's true. Um, and uh, this, this has actually become a big controversy. Yeah, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has quietly changed the Senate's informal dress code to allow senators to wear whatever they want on the floor. A notice went out to the Senate Sergeant at Arms and relevant staff members late Friday, and the change will go into effect starting Monday. The Senate's operated with an informal dress code enforced by the Sergeant at Arms, which requires men and women to dress in business attire. But because the standard's not a formal written policy, policy. Senators at times have been seen on the Senate floor wearing gym clothes, golf attire, denim, shoes without socks, even colorful wigs. Uh, Although senators will benefit from the change, their staffs are still required to wear business clothes under the old dress code. And people other than senators who walk on the Senate floor will also need to wear business attire. What? What is that? Uh, uh, Rules for thee and not for me? Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, if if you're going to make the, the, the underlings who make way less money than these senators uh, dress in business attire... Uh, that why why can't the senators? I I mean just just make one dress code across the board. I know. And this I got, is coming up right in time for Halloween too, so you know you're going to see some protesting with people wearing Halloween costumes on the floor. Well, you know what I'm wondering, Park, um, if you could wear whatever you want, are we going to start seeing uh, sponsored lobbyist T-shirts? Like you're going to see someone wearing like Goldman Sachs or or or, or Exxon oh. Oil. They're going to Ricky Bobby it up. Everyone's uh, everyone's uh, T-shirts on the Senate floor are just going to look like like NASCAR suits. I like where your mind's at. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm very entrepreneur. I'm sorry. What would you say, Park? I said we're going to have a merch war. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess this all started with John Fetterman. He's the uh, the senator from Pennsylvania who beat Dr. Oz. He's the guy who had a stroke. Um, I I guess his thing back when he was... uh, 
what was he? Uh, he was mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania. His his thing was like he was he was the the casual mayor, yeah. right? He always showed he came up in sweats. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. know. He, my first thought. My first thought was like, okay, it's the Senate. Let's have a little decorum. But like decorum like flew out of the flew out the window a long, long time ago. Sure. So like Parker said, everyone just wear Halloween costumes and dress as clowns. Who cares? (laughs) It make it more. It makes it would make C-SPAN more entertaining. Heck yeah. Uh, Big. uh, There's a interesting update on the new Apple operating system, which I think is is an idea that's that's long past due. Yeah, why didn't this come out when I was in the dating game? <laughs> uh, iOS 17 came out this week, and there's a feature called sensitive content warning that automatically blurs photos. Uh, the pic still comes through, but it's blurry with a message that says, this may be sensitive. You have to click a button if you want to see it. So anyone with a new iPhone to run the latest iOS can do it. You just have to update, go to your settings, privacy and security, and turn it on. Uh, if you happen to be sending nudes, don't worry. <laughs> Apple says oh. all the censoring happens within the person's phone. So Phew. those pics aren't being saved on a server somewhere. So basically, if you get a picture um, that may be not safe for work. Yeah. It's safe search for your texts. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Who wrote that press release? If you're sending out the nudes, don't worry. You can still see your own pictures. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This is this is a great idea though because like you said, um, you know there's it, 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 people getting unsolicited pictures uh-huh. from people they don't want pictures from uh, is a real problem. It's a very big problem, and I'm not going to pry because it's none of my business. But you mentioned at the beginning of the topic that you wish that it was around uh, back when you were dating, and just just another example how. Uh, Dating in 2023 just has to be a nightmarish hellscape. I am so happy I'm out of that game. Huh. I mean, and and it's not a problem. It, 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 I I would imagine it's more a problem for women receiving them than men. I can only imagine just kind of like the just kind of like the uh, record scratch moment where you think you're talking to. <laughs> You know, a nice guy, oh. and oh, may, you know, maybe this guy's normal, and all of a sudden, boom! Nothing like "Good morning, princess." Oh! <laughs> okay, it was a good morning, but now it's not going to. Now it's not going to be. You ruined it. I was on my way to having a good morning. Right? What is that? Um. Uh, so I guess Ryan Seacrest obviously has taken over uh, for Pat Sajak as host of Wheel of Fortune at the end of the season. Uh, but Vanna White has signed on through at least 2025. Uh-huh. And uh, the uh, contract extension reportedly came with a raise. This is nuts. Vanna White's last raise came back in 2005. 18 years ago. Now, she's making... She's making $3 million a year ever since. That's a good chunk of change, right? And no one's crying for Vanna White. But Pat Sajak was pulling in $15 million. Yeah, that's a substantial difference. And number one, Seacrest better treat Vanna White like the queen she is. Yes, I agree. Number two, I mean, I'm conflicted on this. I mean, granted, she has one of the best jobs in the world and she gets paid $3 million Mm -hmm. to do it, which in a vacuum, you're winning life's lottery. But then... You know, you can say the same thing about about Pat Sajak. I mean, you're you're Vanna White. You're making three million dollars with a pretty cake gig, but then you're looking across the set at Pat Sajak, who also has a cake gig, and he's making five times more than you. Her job is far more labor intensive. That's true. 
She's, get, she's getting her steps in. <laughs> That's right. And, and like those I, heels. Yeah. And, and like I said, I'm not crying for Vanna White because I would do that job for $500,000 a year. However, <laughs> if the person across from you is making five times more than you and their their job is not really mu- any any tougher than yours, you're going to be a little bit bitter. Uh, yeah, a I little salty. So. I would. So, yeah, I know. So, good for you, Vanna. Get that money, girl. <laughs> it's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. And we're heading into JR Morning, which means Guy Lloyd and Jamie are joining us in studio. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning class. That was very enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, very interesting poll uh, released by the Detroit Regional Chamber and business leaders in, in conjunction with the Glenn Gariff Group. Uh, the headline, uh, two-thirds of young Michiganders see themselves living here in Michigan in 10 years. 64.3 of Michiganders aged 18 to 29 um, have said that. And the biggest factors uh, that were important to them when considering a place to live, uh, the classics, cost of housing, crime rate, job training, and education. Um, but uh, gun laws was also high up there. Mm. And... Uh, and uh, I was thinking, you know, Guy, you are living proof of this. You've got three kids, and two of them live in Michigan. Yeah, it's interesting. And we're watching this happen with our friends whose kids, a lot of the kids, they want to move to New York. They want right. to move to Chicago. They want to get, you know, I'm going to shake the dust off this tiny little yeah. town. You know, they're coming home. Well, it's funny you say that because I remember I, I graduated in 03. So about 07, 08, when, when people my age were, were graduating college, there was like there was like a pipeline to Chicago. Mm-hmm. You you graduate uh, a lot of Michigan State to Ohio pipeline, and then yeah, in the last four or five years, they they've been coming back. So this seems to be this, this seems to be a, a shift away from that in progress, at least in my mind. I, and I don't know if it's I, in a lot of cases. I think it's cost of living. Yeah. I also think that once they have kids, they look at what's happening in Chicago, New York, and go. Mm. Mm-hmm. Home's looking pretty good. Um, it's a, it's I, also childcare. Yeah. For the first five years, my son was in California. I my accountant did his taxes, and I would tell him the amount of money that he. I had a, a number at the end saying, "If you lived in Michigan, this is how much you'd save yeah. because there's a huge income tax in California." Yes. And the regi- registering your car is huge. Oh man. It's, it's yeah. So they're turning around. You yeah. said you said healthcare, Jamie. Child care. Child care. I'm sorry. Yes, child care. If you are home by the grandparents. Oh yes. Just yeah, saying. that's huge. Yeah. And what in the the type of housing that you can get in Michigan versus what you could get at, right more in, space. Yeah, in New York, it's a closet in New York compared to what the type of house <laughs> oh, that you can get up in closet. Michigan. I know. Yeah. Yeah. My niece lives there. A yeah. lot of friends moved back also around this area during COVID. Yes, because they were in little apartments in Chicago, and that mm-hmm. doesn't work during COVID. Right. A lot of people flew the coop with these big cities during COVID for that exact reason, because everything was shut down. So there was no there was no benefit to live in the city. The reason you moved to the city, it's gone. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Can I ask a question? They say the Hollywood writers strike may be nearing an end. Other than the fact that I've met a few people that have been impacted by it. Do you care? Are your are you at all affected here by this writer's strike. Well, just one show, that's all. <laughs> Which show? <laughs> Abbott Elementary. Oh, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> well, I love Abbott it's, Elementary, it's and I, I want to see that come back. But 
Well, that's the th- yeah. If you're if you're at the edge of your seat at the end of a season of one of your favorite shows, you probably care. Yeah, but uh, yeah. the talk shows. It'll be nice to have the talk shows. But the then they said, you know, some back. of the talk shows were saying they were going to come back. Yes. you know, and they said now that you know, and then they said, well, no, we're not going to come back. And they said, well, maybe that's that's going to solve the the writer's strike. Wow, the and, public and shaming the Drew Barrymore way. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, she did. Well, it's funny because and Drew, Bill Mayer, Bill Maher, Bill Maher, yeah. yeah, right. So, like Drew Barrymore, she she was like the first, right? Yep. She she brought her show back, and then everyone kind of followed her. And then once she faced backlash from the writers' union, because I, I mean, let's be honest, if you're crossing the picket line against uh, during a writer's strike, once that strike's over, those writers aren't going to want to work for you after afterwards. Well, yeah, but I mean, where are you going to go? You know, there, maybe there's high demand, maybe there isn't. I, we were, I was up north playing golf last weekend, and I was playing at Boyne, and we were at twosome, so they threw in two more guys with us. They were both there for a wedding in northern Michigan. One of them works for Jimmy Kimmel. Really? Yeah, and he does social media for Jimmy Kimmel. He's got nothing to do with the actual production of the show, but he works in the unit. He's laid off. Yeah, no, he's he, a writer. No reason. You got no yeah. social media post to do if the, the show isn't airing. And he said, yeah, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's... But, that that's what Bill Maher's justification was for for trying to bring yeah. it back in, and, and 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 he's walked it back since Drew Barrymore. He said that uh, you know he's doing it for for the the other people on his crew who Production, need to work. Yeah, yeah. He, he says you know for every one writer, there's probably three other people working in some kind of support capacity. Right. I would be very fascinated though to see some of these shows without writers. Where, where, where well, the, the View, the View does. You know, their their writers are not there. They're writing their own stuff, but people are picketing outside right. of their uh, picking, studios too. They were picketing Drew Barrymore, and uh, you know, Drew Barrymore also kind of goes into this latest trend of the celebrity apology video. Um, Drew Barrymore made one. Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher made one after they wrote a letter. Um, for Danny, Danny Masterson. Masterson. What were you thinking? Yeah. Especially because Ashton Kutcher, he has that organization. Um, he stepped down from it, but he's got that organization that fights against online sex trafficking. Yeah. Right. And he, he, he might have done some great work with that, that organization, and, and that organization still continues to good, do good work. But, you know, if, if that's what your cause is and then you write... And well, then you write a letter in defense of someone who just got sentenced to 30 euros in jail for rape. You can't continue as the head of that organization. Doesn't he have people to protect him from dumb decisions like that? I, I can't believe that he did that. Well, I think what happens is these these people are, are rich and famous for so long that eventually, you know, their voices of reason get filtered out. Jeez. They might have said... Someone might have been too honest with them, and, <laughs> right. and they got fired. And so now they got all these people that, yeah, great idea, great yes, idea. Man. And then, and then there they are in their in their humble room without their makeup, making an apology video, and <laughs> and, and their careers in shambles. And you have to weep. You right. do. You, you know, right. it's weeping not good. It's mandatory. Right. Yeah, at, at least have some tears welled up in your eyes. Something. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're actors. They should be able to. Do there you go. And right. Not without writers. Right. You have to say <laughs> in the script in parentheses. And that's the other thing. Can you take them seriously? They're actors. That's Their job is to fake it. We'll be back. Ten Michigan public universities announced that they will admit any in-state student with a grade point average 3.0 or above. Dan Hurley, CEO of Michigan Association of State Universities, discusses the new standards on JR Morning with Guy, Lloyd, and Jamie. We know that universities across the state are having difficulty with enrollment. Many of them are. And in an effort to try to address that issue, they have changed uh, their standards. They're saying anybody with a GPA 
of 3.0 or better will be accepted. And there are a number of universities involved in this. Let's learn more about it from Dan Hurley, CEO of the Michigan Association of State Universities. Dan, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. I guess my first question is, if, if we know that schools are are desperate to try to fill their ranks, why are they turning away kids with 3.0 GPAs? Why not just a, a, so, yeah. adjust that bar on their own? Yeah, so that, it's a very important clarification is that the universities in this pack did not change their standards. Um, what they're doing is they are, are syncing them up and most importantly, just, you know, come together in a unified manner and conveying in a very simple message that Michigan high school seniors graduating next spring that graduate with a GPA of 3.0 or higher will be assured admission to these 10 uh, participating universities in the Michigan Assured Admission Pact. But I want to make clear, we have a uh, great set. All of our public universities are very high quality, uh, great students with a lot of talent, and they did not uh, you know, water down in any way their admission standards as it involves this, uh, this new initiative. Do you see this as being, uh, uh, you know, removing uh, that that barrier that a lot of families have, specifically when it comes to, you know, those first generation students? Yeah, so it's it's really about demystifying the process. There's no doubt. And I have a high school senior myself, so we're going through the process. It can be overwhelming uh, in terms of uh, the process of admissions and, and the competition in that process, but. We are hopeful that by letting high school seniors know that one simple metric of a 3.0 or higher GPA will, uh, you know, assure them uh, a place, a seat at one of these uh, participating universities. And so it's not about SAT scores. It's not about how much extracurricular activities you have. I mean, those are all helpful, uh, but it really does come down to the, you know, three or four years of, uh, courses that one takes uh, at their high school. So, yes, we are hopeful that students from all settings, urban, rural, uh, who are, are on the edge in terms of what they're deciding is going to take place next fall, will consider enrolling in a Michigan Public University. And now is a really important time because uh, we have this new Michigan Achievement Scholarship uh, thanks to our state lawmakers coming together, and that's a huge new program. Uh, it provides up to $5,500 a year uh, for up to five years for students entering a Michigan public university. And the state forecasts that about three-quarters of all high school graduates will be eligible for uh, that award. And that represents about 35 to 45% of tuition costs uh, at these participating public universities. So that's about you know, one-third to almost one-half off uh, the tuition price. And so uh, we just think it's a great time to get the message out, uh, encourage more students to uh, uh, consider enrolling in a university, earning that four-year degree, and by doing so, pretty much fundamentally changing <laughs> a lot of their lives in terms of uh, career opportunities. Dan, the number of high school graduates in Michigan is declining. Why is that? Is the birth rate lower? Are people not graduating high school? Or are they not going to college? What is it? 
Yeah, great question. It's really a demographic issue. We are a, a grain state. We're not alone in the American Midwest and Northeast, but it is rather pronounced here. Um, I will say, though, uh, we have seen a rather precipitous drop uh, in the number of high school students, eh? and then, yes, in college participation that was certainly impacted by the, the COVID pandemic. But I will say there is, we don't have all the final numbers yet, we won't for a few weeks yet, but there are many bright spots around the state at our public universities, especially in terms of a turnaround in freshman enrollment. And I think that it has a lot to do with the Michigan Achievement Scholarship. And there really wasn't that the new program, not a whole lot of students and parents were aware of it. And so uh, the, the state, uh, our lawmakers again came together put forward some dollars for the state to put together a rather comprehensive marketing campaign in the months ahead. So we're hopeful, and I'm rather confident, that sector-wide we will see uh, a turnaround enrollment uh, next fall, despite uh, I think we're, it's anticipated that we're going to have lower numbers of high school graduates for at least another, uh, I'm going to say, seven or eight years or so. Um, but despite that, I think because of the increased affordability, and the just huge labor market demand for graduates with specifically four-year degrees. Uh, Jamie has a very bright little project at home that says she's just <laughs> waiting to send your way, Dan. Uh, but it's, it's going to take a few 17 years. 17 short years. Yeah, just 17 years yeah. away. So yeah. how much reasonably can you expect to boost enrollment? I mean, you're addressing the perception problem that someone's grades aren't high enough. You're addressing the cost issue with this Michigan Achievement Scholarship. How much do you think you can boost it? And how much of a barrier is still this notion that people think that they don't get a return on that investment? Uh, I, I think we'll see, uh, you know, probably be modest, maybe a, a couple of percent per year increase in enrollment. But again, given you know, the, the stark numbers, that's actually, I, I think, a nice turnaround. And, you know, yes, there is an occasional narrative uh, questioning the ROI on a college degree. Uh, I will say, again, uh, looking at the uh, dollars the state has put into the new Michigan Achievement Scholarship, that is going to make a, a big impact. But uh, the data tell the story. And uh, the earnings differential, for example, with workers with a FOIA degree oh, yeah. uh, as compared to a high school diploma continues to grow and widen. And when you look at other things, and it's not all about money and, and income, uh, it's, you know, when we look at high school students, ask them, why do you want to earn a college degree? Uh, the, the top reason is they want to make a contribution, an impact on their community and the wider world around them. But you look at uh, earnings, you look at job security, low unemployment rates, social mobility, uh, happiness in one's career, et cetera. Um, and again, the, the, uh, the, the strong, strong need in Michigan for workers with a four-year degree, I think that should lend a lot of confidence that individuals who make that commitment. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale.